The text for the sermon this day is taken from the reading from Acts chapter 1, which was read earlier, as well as this, these words from John 17, which said, verse 22, it says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. That is the text. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. At, right to start off, I'd like you to open up your hymnals. So, uh, and turn, turn to page 491. At the beginning of this service, at the beginning, I mentioned that this past Thursday was Ascension Day. Ascension Day, in the, Ascension Day marks the 40th day of Easter. Because after 40 days, Jesus ascended into heaven. And the hymn that we are going to close off the service today is the, the hymn of the day for Ascension Day. And it's a hymn that imagines something kind of neat. And so I'm going to begin, just read through this, I'm going to read through this first verse, and it says, Up through endless ranks of angels, cries of triumph in his ears, to his heavenly throne ascending, having vanquished all their fears. Christ looks down upon his faithful, leaving them in happy tears. So, I want you to think about this. Jesus, think all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. God created the heavens and the earth, and when he had finished creating everything, he looked on it, and it was, behold, it was what? Not just good, very good. Then you go to Genesis 3. Adam and Eve were told not to partake of a particular fruit, but they were deceived by the words of the serpent, by the devil, and they partook of that fruit. They fell into sin. But after they had fallen into sin, God gave them a promise that the offspring of Eve would crush the serpent's head. Well, thousands of years passed, and eventually there is a woman that becomes pregnant. In fact, this past Friday, in case you don't know, that was the day of the visitation. The visitation is the day that the church, it's always on May 31st, is when the church remembered when Mary visited Elizabeth. Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist, Mary pregnant with Jesus. And so we remember that day for Elizabeth when she was greeted by the promise made in Genesis 3. For, in fact, her, the, the baby in her womb leapt for joy. Which, by the way, if you ever wonder the value of a child inside of the womb, John the Baptist, Jesus. So, but John the Baptist leapt in the womb at the presence of Jesus. And then, then a little bit ap just after Jesus was born, only a few days, Jesus was brought to the temple. And a man, Simeon, gave a prophecy regarding him, gave the prophecy that the, the heart, the soul of, e, of, of Mary would be pierced. 
prophesying what would happen to Jesus. Prophesying that Mary would be there to witness it happen as he had a spear driven into his heart after his crucifixion. And and it would come true. Jesus was crucified. He died. He was buried. And when they came to that tomb, they assumed that the body had been taken away. That somebody had stolen it. But it was not long before they realized that he was physically, bodily risen from the dead. And Jesus proceeded to show himself risen for 40 days to over 500 people. And after he had done all of that, he ascended into heaven. Acts chapter 1 is that event. And Acts 1 tells you what it was like on earth. Jesus ascended to heaven. They look up like, where'd you go? Aren't you coming back? You know, they're kind of dumbfounded. Which, let's face it, we'd probably be doing the same thing. Somebody lifted right up in the sky right before you. You'd be like, whoa, okay, cool, weird, interesting. But what the hymn here imagines What must it have been like on the other side? What must have it been like in heaven when he was arriving? You remember, well, I just just say remember because not many of us were alive for it. But are you at least familiar with the pictures and the videos of the crowds after World War II? When the soldiers came back in victory... There's basically a massive parade, a massive party all over the country. Same thing after World War I. There's even that famous, uh, paint, there's that famous picture of the sailor kissing the girl. And so there's a huge celebration. Do you imagine what it must have been like for the angels when Jesus returned, accomplishing that which he was promised all the way back in the garden? That he had conquered death. He had risen from the dead. Everything had been accomplished. Could you imagine the songs that were sung in victory and celebration of his arrival? That's what that first verse imagines. Second verse, it says, death destroying, life restoring, proven equal to our need. Now for us before the Father as our brother intercede. Flesh that for our world was wounded, living for the wounded plead. This is where that verse from John 17 comes into play. Jesus prayed that we would all be one. Because the reality is, is that we are not one. The reality is that all the way beginning in the garden, we lived in a world of division. As soon as Adam and Eve had fallen into sin and God had asked Adam what had happened, Adam said, the woman whom you gave me, gave me this and I ate. So in other words, it was the woman's fault, but even more God's fault for giving him the woman. The implication for men, I guess, is that the life would be so much better if women were not around. Not actually the case. He was wrong. That's exact. But he tried to create that argument. 
The division between man and woman had begun. And it's a division that passes all the way into our day. We live in the world in the midst of division. You know, as I actually think about this kind of, I was actually just, the other day I was watching a movie, Batman v Superman. That's not exactly a great movie, but the same year that movie came out, Captain America Civil War came out. Both of those movies had a very similar theme that the heroes, both of the good guys, had an, a very important issue that they were debating. And they were at each other, and they eventually physically fought over it. Why would those two movies happen to be made at the same time? Well, see, the thing is, a lot of times film is reflective of culture. And we live in a culture that is divided. We have so many issues that we are fighting each other over. Go through your social media feed and look if you're on Facebook or on Twitter. How much of it is demonizing the other side? It's all about what we are against, very rarely about what we are for. We live in a politically very divided nation. And we have for a long time. In fact, I, my, the very first presidential election that I participated in was 2000. Al Gore and George W. Bush, where we did not find out for an entire month who won the election because the people in Florida got confused. But our nation was so divided over how do we deal with electoral college and all that type of stuff. And the very election itself de depicted the divided reality of our nation. But it does not end on the political level. For those of you who are married or have been in any romantic relationship, now you don't have to answer this, but don't have to raise your hand and say, hey, this long. How long did it take for you to get into your first fight? Again, you don't have to answer. You're like, five minutes. You didn't. It didn't take long. Or how about this, for those of you who have had children, more than one, and no, children, plural, how long did it take for the two of them to get into a fight with one another? Or better question, how long did it take for you to get into a fight with your sibling if you had one? We are constantly fighting and in turmoil with one another. This is the result of sin that Adam and Eve brought into the world. And the thing is, is so we read this prayer by Jesus. Do you notice that Jesus is not actually commanding it? He's not telling us to become one. He prays for it. And there's a very important distinction there. Because if Jesus, if Jesus put the task up to us, we'd fail. Because there's a problem with us trying to put, come up with the task of unity. In fact, this is a game that many church bodies actually try to do. They try to come up with a fake unity. They'll say, well, you believe that the body and blood of Jesus is present in the Lord's Supper. We believe the bread and wine represents the body and blood. It's okay. We could both come to communion together. We'll just ignore these differences and pretend they're not there. That is man trying to force unity. But it's not actually unity. 
That is not being one. That is division blindfolded and pretending that it's one. It's a game of make-believe. And guess what happens in pretty much every one of the church bodies that play this game? What happens when you bury an argument? It comes back ugly and nasty, which is why, if you're, if you're not aware, all of these church bodies have done this. They have split multiple times within the last 20 years because they tried to pretend they were one when in reality they never were. Man, we can't become one because there's a key problem for us taking action. I'm part of the problem. As long as I'm part of it, we can never be one on this earth. And neither can you. Because we are all, on account of our sinful nature, we are part of the problem. And this is why verse 3, it says, To our lives of wanton wandering, send your spirit promise guide through our lives of fear and failure, with your power and love abide. See, it's only by the Spirit, it's only by the power of God himself can true unity come. It only comes through the Word. It only comes through the truth of the Scriptures. It only comes from the pure teaching of Scripture that true unity comes. It can only come by Christ. See, the whole reason Jesus left the heavenly realms. The victory that he had was not just, hey, he rose from the dead. That's incredible. But it is also victory for us. That's why he had to send, one of the biggest, the biggest reason he had to ascend into heaven is because he needed to send the Holy Spirit. Because it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that you are enabled to believe. That you receive grace, you receive forgiveness, and you receive that which enables us to eventually become fully one. And see, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he didn't, his, his presence, he didn't cease to be present on earth. That's what our Calvin, the Calvinists will say, that he, he ascended into heaven and that's done. And he's not present on earth. But as we, we would argue, is that he is indeed present. He is present when the word is proclaimed. He is present in the waters of baptism. And he is present in the Lord's Supper. His very body is present in the bread. His very blood is present in the wine. And you receive it for the forgiveness of sins. You receive the very same Jesus who ascended into heaven in a miraculous, mysterious fashion that none of us could comprehend. And by the way, what's the name of that? What do we call that? Communion. Common union. Where we get for a moment a taste of of oneness. We are, we are united to Christ. And because the person next to you is united to Christ, you are united to one another. 
Which, by the way, this is why unity in the confession about the Lord's Supper is so important. Because if one person comes to the Lord's Supper believing they only receive bread and wine, and the other one comes believing that they're receiving the very body and blood of Jesus in, with, and under the bread and wine, you are not celebrating unity. You are coming divided, and you bring judgment upon yourself, as Paul warns. But rather, we come in with that confession. For a moment, we get a taste of the unity, of the oneness that Christ is preparing for us in eternity. And the hymn continues in the, in, still in verse 3. Now, this is where it gets kind of cool. First time I actually was, I never actually really did much with this hymn until I was. I was up in May City, or up in Ocheedon for a couple years, and I introduced this hymn because it's the hymn of the day. I'm like, I'm never saying it, but it's actually easy to learn. And trust me, up there, it was tough to teach new hymns, but they liked it eventually. But this hymn, first time I introduced it, was during, was, it was on Ascension Day. We had an Ascension Day service, and about the same time, my Uncle Howard who was very, very supportive of me all the way through seminary and all the way through college. He was, he was dying of cancer, and he died only a couple days later. I actually sang this hymn at his funeral. And, the la- and so, for those of you who've ever been at a deathbed, you've had, pro- for those of you who experienced it, they say that very often the last thing to go is the person's hearing. So notice what it says, the end of verse 3. Welcome us as you were welcomed to an endless Easter tide. Think about that. Think about the way the hymn began. The hymn began with his welcome. The welcome is that he is being welcomed by angels by a song that no mortal ear has ever heard. And here it is singing the song, the hymn is ending. The end of verse 3 is saying that we, when we arrive, will be greeted with the same songs of the angels. You will cease to hear anything on this earth, and the very next thing you will hear is the song of the angels singing in celebration, for you have arrived. Not because you are so awesome, but rather because how awesome your Jesus is, because he conquered death in the grave, his victory is your victory. And he's going to be standing there. He's going to be looking at this person, whoever, looking at you and saying, you have no idea how hard it was to get that person up here. They did anything and everything they could to walk away and go another direction. By the way, there's a, my, my roommate in college, he had a joke. There's a hymn that goes, I've decided to follow Jesus. He rewrote it and said, I've decided to be drug kicking and screaming by Jesus. Because we are only just the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is resistance. We do anything and everything we can to go the other way. And the Holy Spirit, which is why next Sunday, Pentecost, is so important. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that enables us to believe. The one who delivers grace. He basically grabs us by the collar and yanks us. And pulls us in the right direction. And so when, he, so when we arrive at eternity, when we have entered into the kingdom... You will hear the angels singing the victory of Christ and the victory that is 
yours. And then verse 4. Alleluia, alleluia. You cease to breathe the breath of this earth. It says, oh, to breathe the Spirit's grace. You'll breathe the breath of the Holy Spirit, a heavenly breath. And again, it says, alleluia, alleluia. Oh, to see the Father's face. Think about this. When Moses asked to see God the Father, the answer he did get to, but he had to see the backside. Which, by the way, in case you don't know, that means God mooned Moses. Because that was the only side of God the Father that Moses was worthy to look at. But you, when you enter into eternity, your eyesight is probably long gone. The very first thing you will see is the face of God the Father smiling upon you. Which, by the way, every time you come to the divine service, every time you come to church, you hear God's word. Every time you receive the Lord's Supper, you get a taste of that. It's actually reflected at the end of the service. We say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his what? Countenance. You know what countenance means? It literally means God's smiling on you. You're getting a taste of what you'll have in eternity as God the Father smiles upon you. And then, Alleluia, Alleluia. Oh, to feel the Son's embrace. And again, your sensation, your feelings, your sensation on this earth will be gone, but you will be greeted by the most loving embrace you have ever felt in your entire life as Jesus will welcome you is his dear, beloved brother. You, a fellow, you as an heir of the heavenly father, he will embrace you into the kingdom. See, that's what Ascension Day is ultimately about. Here we are on Easter 7, waiting right in between Ascension and anticipating Pentecost. But ultimately it is Jesus ascending into heaven in victory. Jesus ascending and going to the Father, being greeted by the angels, coming to us so that he may send the Holy Spirit, that you may receive the benefits that Jesus won on the cross, washing away every sin that you have ever committed, making, making you holy and righteous in the presence of God, so that on the final day, you may, that you may be welcomed as Christ was welcome, that you may breathe the Spirit's grace, that you may see the Father's face, and you may feel the loving embrace of Jesus himself. That's why he ascended. And do you notice what did he tell his disciples to do before he ascended? Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So you hear it, be his witnesses in Ida, Gro in Ida County, Iowa, Nebraska. Yes, we like Nebraska people, even if they're Cornhusker fans. To the ends of the earth, be witnesses of the gospel until Christ returns and brings us, brings us to his eternal kingdom. To him be all glory. Amen.
The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.